Welcome to Level 7, Episode 120, S.H.I.E.L.D. comic episode. We're looking at issue number 10, which is The Duck Called Howard, plus a whole bunch of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Uh, 50th Anniversary Comics. Welcome to Level 7. A podcast about Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and the Marvel Cinematic Universe. It's a magical place. Hello, time travelers. Oh, wait. Nope. That's another podcast that we do about comic books. Hello, agents. This is Ben, Ben Avery, and I'm here because we are here because we like comic books and we don't just like TV shows and movies. We like other stuff, too. And so we have some Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. related comics that we are going to talk about right now. And I am not alone. I have been joined by my fellow time traveler on the comic book time machine and fellow comic book fan and my friend. Agent Daniel. Be safe, kids. Make good choices. <laughs> Wrong podcast. Oh, yeah. Oh, it's Daniel Butcher. So, hey, yeah, go to comicbooktimemachine.com if you like comic books, because we talk about comic books a lot over there. But over here at Welcome to Level 7, well, we talk about S.H.I.E.L.D. comic books. And today we are talking about the Duck <laughs> Cavalcade of comics, man. Yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot of comics to cover. But the first one we're going to cover, as usual, is S.H.I.E.L.D., which features our boy Coulson. And it's issue number 10. This issue, it's always Coulson and the members of the S.H.I.E.L.D. team teaming up with a hero from the Marvel Comics universe. We've seen them team up with uh, Ms. Marvel. We've seen them team up with Doctor Strange, with Spider-Man. And in case you didn't get it from the title, the duck called Howard, <laughs> which is kind of a play, I think, off of uh, last, last uh, month's issue, The Man Called Death. Because if you look, they, they put little dots between each letter when it's Howard. They did on Howard, yeah. Yeah, yeah I saw that. Well, anyway, we're, we're, we're teaming up with Howard the Duck. <laughs> um, the way we talk about these comics is we do not spoil the ending as much as possible. We want this to be an experience for you if you want to seek these out. But we also do want to talk about things that are in the comic. In this comic, we have Fitz. Uh going to find Howard the Duck <laughs> and they're going to find him at a restaurant called the Duck Bucket. <laughs> yeah, that's problematic for Howard. But we find out that Fitz needs Howard to do something specific. Howard is the only person for the job, but the mystical orb that they're going to use to send Howard away. I guess it's not a mystical orb. It's a magic wand that they use to send him away. He drops the mystical orb. It accidentally takes Fitz and the uh, owl-headed magic expert from S.H.I.E.L.D. What's that, his, that guy's name? He's an uh, owl. Uh, yeah, I, I totally didn't write it down. I don't see where they name drop him. Oh, here it is. Uh, Agent Warwick. There we go. Agent Warwick. And so you have an owl-headed magic expert. <laughs> you have Fitz and you have Howard. And the mission is going to take them to another universe. And they talk about, you know, how the, these infinite Earths that are out there with all the different Howards and 
they're as they're going through these worlds, they're finding just all these dead Howards, which is a really unfortunate problem. If and you're a Howard, if you're a Howard, it's it's a, it's a real unfortunate problem. And they end up finding Howards who are you know there's there's a Doctor Strange Howard the Duck, there's a Thor the Legion of Howard, it's, which it's, is the Avengers. Yeah, and then you have a. Uh, character that is kind of a parody of Galactus. You have a herald of that character. Um, basically, they want to eat ducks. <laughs> and uh, Yeah, it gets cosmic. So I have a, a question for you. Mm-hmm. So we have a villain, and the villain gets a name, a title. Do you find this – is it safe for me to say the name? Yeah, go ahead. Deliverer. Mm-hmm. Does that make you think of the liver lady from the Gerber Howard the Ducks? Uh, it's a kidney lady. Ah, uh, kidney lady. I yeah. knew it was some sort of internal organ. Yeah. No, it makes me think of like eating a liver, I guess. Well, that's but... kind of what they're going for. So, um, you know, there there's some things in here where you know they they're going to make. Oh, what's the what's the dish? They're making with uh, it's a duck dish where they would just it's, it's a real life thing where they just stuff ducks and make them eat and eat and eat and they just get so fat and then they serve them like that. Um, I can't remember the name of the dish and I'm looking here and I'm not seeing it, but they they hook up Howard to a, f- a feeder that's just gonna stuff him with food and um, they. It, so here's my questions as I look at this: Does this work for me as a Shield comic? And does it work for me as a Howard comic? Okay. Can I start with S.H.I.E.L.D. comic? Yeah. Can I give you an answer? I can give you an answer, but yeah, go ahead. Nope. Nope. Me too. Because Coulson's not really a part of it. How many frames is he in? Just a couple. One. Really? Yep. He's talking. Is he? I'm not counting talking. Yeah, we're getting words from him. You see a visual representation of Coulson. Is it even one? One. In the title page? Um, nope. He's hidden in there. I saw it. I counted it. Because I'm flipping through and I'm not seeing him. It's in there. I'm not seeing him now. Like, I thought he was actually in here a couple times, but... I didn't say it was big. Yeah, Coulson's in there. And that really, for me, is why it doesn't work as a Coulson comic. I understand that this is Phil Coulson team-up, but when you look at Marvel team-up, either The Thing or Spider-Man was in every issue a lot. Coulson well, needs to be in here. Yeah, I really feel like Coulson should be in this. But Does it work for you as a Howard the Duck comic? Sort of. It does for me. I mean, it definitely is trying to play off of uh, the classic Howard kind of story where you're taking a Marvel Universe concept, you're kind of um, giving it a twist, putting it on its, on its side. Uh, it's kind of being a parody of the whole uh, multiverse uh, idea and, and and then taking a Marvel character and like Galactus and, and kind of saying, okay, well, what if uh, he was actually wanting to eat duck? <laughs> it's just, um, but then there's also some real emotion to it as well. And that, that makes me think of Gerber too. Well, and I do like the fact, and one of the reasons why it works for me as a comic is they just, as a Howard comics, they just hang some lampshades on it that tell you it's going to be 
to me a Howard comic. I mean, they they point out the fact that they need an expert on the comically mundane, which I find interesting. And then they talk about the fact that they have to conscript Howard. Yeah. But it's because he needs to be resentful. He'd do it anyway. (laughs) But they need him to resent it to make him effective. And so that's why they have to draft him. Yeah. And and from those moments at the beginning, it kind of helped me kind of set set a tone that, you know, Howard is going to be this guy that's going to come off as a curmudgeon, but really has a good heart. And then you go ahead and you put some of the satire that's even kind of making fun of the Marvel Universe. Well, and that's, to me, what makes it kind of a definitely more of a Howard type of feel is that they're using this to make fun of the Marvel Universe and or have fun with the Marvel Universe, maybe is a better word. But there's also a, you also have a a cook character, a French cook character who that feels like a Gerber type of, of villain. I do feel like Wade is trying to write a Gerber like Howard story. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, Steve Gerber, he's one of my favorite comic book writers, um, partially because of the satire and the, the kind of the parody, but then it's its own story too. And yeah, so it it it, it kind of works, but it's not. It's neither my favorite Shield comic nor my favorite Howard comic for sure. I'm not. Uh, a, I, I usually don't like it very much when other people are writing Howard the Duck, uh, beyond Steve Gerber, and this is one of those times where yeah, it kind of works for me. I also do find it interesting because we've often talked about where does this fit in the Marvel Six One Six if anywhere. And again, let's remember there's an event going on called Secret Wars that's completely turning the Marvel 616 on its head when this is released. But they tie this multiversal event that needs Howard to events that happened, anomalies from a Spider-Man event, which would have been Spider-Verse. Which happened before the Secret Wars thing. Happened before the Secret Wars. But at the same time, let's be honest, Spider-Verse went into many different universes. So that doesn't necessarily mean this is Marvel 616. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, this is the the of all the Howards that you see in this issue, this is the only Howard that reminds me of a six one six Howard. But yeah, so again, I, I I thought it was good. I'm not a Howard guy. They pulled it off. You know, they made it work for me. Yeah, I just want more Colson. I and I agree about that too. And I think May and Coulson are on the cover. May's not in this <laughs> at all. She's on the bus. Well. Yeah. So that's that's shield number 10. The duck called Howard. All right. Our next five. Yes, let me say it. Five comic books came out weekly, one shots, encapsulated yeah. stories. In celebration of 50 years of S.H.I.E.L.D. So we have Mockingbird. We have Quake. We have Agent Carter. We have Fury. And we have the Cavalry. And all five of these are going to wind up in a trade that will be put out in a few months. So if you didn't get your hands on them now, you still have an opportunity soon. But let's also go ahead and be – let's fully call this out for everybody. Let's put all our cards on the table, Ben. We both bought variant covers. Okay. That's not just me. That's also you. 
Okay. So I did. I bought variant covers for every single issue. I bought the action, yourself. the action figure variant cover, which they were all action figures that are based on characters that are from the Marvel comic book universe, but have are also part of our, our shows. And so for the Mockingbird issue, it was a variant cover of what would have been a pretty cool looking action figure of Phil Coulson, which who who. Is really not in here. No. No, uh, he's not in here at all. Well, no. no yeah, he's you're not right. In here at he's all. not. He's not. Uh, Mockingbird, actually, who is on our show, is the obviously what the issue is about. But and they have nice little details here. Each up, uh, each uh, one comes with a card, a shield identity card. And then some sort of weapons or whatever. But then they also come, it says, includes build a figure uh, the for Deathlock. And so Coulson comes with Deathlock's head and body. For Quake, it's Daisy Johnson. And she comes with two different sets of hands and one of uh, Deathlock's legs. And again, with the ID card. For Agent Carter, it's Agent Carter. And she comes with uh, an older looking ID card and not, it doesn't have any barcodes on it. It has like a long number. Uh, she comes with a nice, uh, shotgun and pistol, two different hats. One is the red fedora style hat that she wears. And the other is kind of a French resistance kind of hat. And she comes with Deathlock's right arm for the Nick Fury issue. It's agent Leo Fitz and agent Gemma Simmons. And all it comes with is two figures, two cards and a right leg. And then finally, for the cavalry, it's Melinda May, <laughs> and she comes with uh, sunglasses and seven sets of hands in various martial arts poses, and then Deathlock's left arm. And I think the one thing I left out was that um, Agent Peggy Carter, her outfit changes in color and sunlight. <laughs> so kind of like that Zartan action figure who... <laughs> who turned green or whatever, but you know, cause she's a spy, you know? And, and so she needs to be able to change, you know, quickly. And I liked them. They're cute. They, and they were worth your time, weren't they? They were worth my, my money. Yeah. I don't know what I'm going to do with them. If I'm going to try and display them somehow, somewhere, but yeah, the covers themselves were a win for me. I, I enjoyed them. Now the interiors we'll talk about. But what variants did you get, Daniel? The exact same ones, Ben. Did you really? I didn't know you were yeah. doing that. Yeah. The exact same ones. Because they're awesome. They are pretty cool. And they're definitely meant to tie in this 50th anniversary thing. It's 50th, right? Yes. Yeah. But definitely meant to tie in with, with the TV show with that. And all of the stories as well. I mean, we have Mockingbird, Quake. Agent Carter and, and, and the cavalry. And then fury is the one thing that possibly, possibly doesn't tie into our show as much, but I wish that there would have been a Colson issue, but we've got a series about Colson. So I, I feel like that would kind of be redundant. If anything, I kind of wish that for that month with the mockingbird one, that they had done a mockingbird action figure cover for her. 
and then on Shield Ten, done a Coulson yeah, action figure yeah. cover. I, that's I, really that's really the best way they could have brought a Coulson and a Mockingbird in. And you could have probably done a, a two pack and done a Mockingbird and Hunter, if you really want to do like a Fitzsimmons one, possibly. So. So should we talk about Mockingbird? Yeah, yeah. No, I have very brief plot outlines. I'm not sure how much detail you wanted to get into. I think we're going to do very brief plot outlines on these two, my friend. All right. And I believe Mockingbird 1, I well, Mockingbird, I should go ahead and take care of it because we all know I'm a hot mess about Hey Girl. Yeah. There you go. So, two birds with one sentence. So Mockingbird actually has two kind of stories in it. Um, story number one is Bobby gets back to her science roots and investigates the death of her mentor who has been murdered. And so she uses science to figure out who murdered this person. Not just science. She also uses her incredible intuition because she may or may not have superpowers, but one thing she can do is analyze patterns. And then in story number two, Red Widow, Red Widow First Strike, we meet a young lady who has been a, an orphan from the Eastern Bloc. And she gets involved in some underworldy, underworldy stuff. And we kind of have a, a, a parallel story between Black Widow in Hong Kong and the Red Widow, this young lady in New York. Um the one big difference is, is the Red Widow is really not endorsed by anyone and is hiding from S.H.I.E.L.D. because she doesn't want to go back into her, their custody because apparently at one time she lived in one of their homes. And she has some resentment against uh, the Black Widow. And really this story seems to be an attempt to introduce us to a character that we might see some more of in the future. And I know that they've recently written a book about that I'll have to find and read. Yeah, if you say so. Black Widow Forever Red is the book. It was written by Margaret Stoll, who is also the writer of the story that they have in here. I'm not interested in that at all. So here, let's, so we'll we'll just start there. Uh, Yeah, I didn't think the Red Widow Strikes was a great story, and I really was not happy because it was something that took away from Mockingbird. And added to the cover price. Yep, so it wasn't really... It didn't really feel like a good value add in the story when what I was trying to read was a story about Mockingbird. Now, with the Mockingbird story, hey, girl, maybe improve the story a little bit. What'd you say? Maybe improve the story a little bit. <laughs> I kind of liked it. And it's a lot. It's Sherlock Holmesy sort of stuff, but yeah, it's, really it's, not. It's she's using her brains and her brawn, and she's. Like I said, she can analyze patterns, and that's how the story works. Uh, there's a twist to the story, uh, but I felt like the story was heartfelt. I felt like it was a meaningful story. Just it fell a little flat for me. Okay, well, as a one-shot story about uh, Mockingbird, set—I mean, set in the Marvel universe—but you don't need to know much about her. You can know all you know from the the show and and still enjoy it. Uh, the one thing is she does reference a uh, past with uh, Clint Burton, which I don't yep. think she has in the MCU. But but she does have a romantic relationship in this comic book that is inspired by the MCU. Absolutely. 
and I mean right there in the opening pages there, flaunting the fact that we're partially expired by the MCU. Yeah. But I liked it. I, I, I felt like it had personal stakes. I felt like even though it was a small story, it didn't go many places. Uh, in some ways, it was almost like a locked room mystery kind of thing. But For me, it was in the bottom three of these of these five. Oh, I have a hard time ranking these, but yeah. So next we have Quake and Daisy Johnson, who she's what she's director of Shield now. Is that no? She is not. This is this when we say no, Secret not Avengers, in this, this issue. Is Secret it, Avengers Volume One. So this is before she's director of Shield. No, I mean, is she now? No. No, no, no. Maria is. So, so, so Quake never was director of Shield. She was. Oh, okay. So she was. But she has been. So currently, today, if you were to pick up a comic today, Maria Hill is director of Shield. Having taken honest, over from Quake, after the, the the Shield comic that when she had her her visit to Coulson, I am unsure of Quake's status because. In Secret Avengers Volume 2, she became a fugitive from S.H.I.E.L.D. after being director of S.H.I.E.L.D. and Maria doesn't like her very well. So I'm very confused about why Maria would allow Daisy to work with Phil. Well, because last time I knew she was with Bucky in space. For this issue. It's all very convoluted. For this issue, it doesn't matter, though. For this (laughs) issue, it takes place, it says, before Avengers number 20. from Secret Avengers. It doesn't say that here. It says it It takes place before. No, it says before Secret Avengers. There is no Secret Avengers. Before Secret Avengers number 20. I'm looking at my note right here. Are you looking at the comic right here? Uh, No, this issue takes place before Avengers 2010 number 20. Does not say a word about secret. Yeah, now you're going to look it up while you give the plot summary. Basically, this is a... how. Why is Daisy in the Avengers? Why did she, why was she brought in? Um, we start out and she's in an interrogation for something that went wrong in, on a mission. And she's, I dislike you. <laughs> uh, she starts to tell the story of what happened on the mission. And basically the mission starts out for her where she has been brought in to be on the team, on away team with the Avengers. And she's asking, why do I belong here? No one wants her. The roles are already all taken up. They already have a spy. They already have a sniper. They already have a soldier. They already have a computer. That's the vision. Uh, They already have uh, blankety blank, and they already have a monster. All the roles are taken. They have a goddess. They have a leader. How does she fit in? She's going to mess up. They think she's going to mess up. A lot of the team members think she's going to mess up. She herself thinks she's going to mess up. There's no place for her. And then when they go on the mission and there's the fight, there's no place for her in the fight. But the fight then leads to a place where it puts her in a moral conundrum. And she has to make a choice. And so she makes her choice. The choice gets her in trouble. But was it the wrong choice or was it the right choice? And the answers to all those questions basically leads to the answer of her question of why. Why is she there? And I'm going to say right now, I do not have much experience with Daisy Johnson in in comics. 
I would not have even thought to write down in my notes Secret Avengers because I haven't read Secret Avengers. Uh, but for someone who has no experience with her, this fits well with the S.H.I.E.L.D. comic issue that we had with Quake. And as it explores, you know, what is she doing there? Why is she why does she have a place with these people, with these characters, with within S.H.I.E.L.D.? Um, this answers the question for me. And I would, you know, be curious where this would springboard to. And I am curious almost enough to try and find Secret Warriors if I wasn't reading so many other things and doing so many other things. So that's my impression. I liked it. Daniel? And my impression is, is this is a daisy that I could see coming out of Secret Warriors and then coming into this story, which I really think time-wise is what we're supposed to see. But by the time we get to her being director of S.H.I.E.L.D. in Secret Avengers, she's going to have a harder edge than we see here. She's going to be closer to Nick Fury just because, again, that's her mentor. And he's a very real politics sort of guy. All right. Well, next we have. And by the way, this oh. is in my top two. Yeah, this one's five. definitely up there for me. I, I, I like the Mockingbird story. I think I like this Quake story more. So if I'm ranking them right now, um, yeah, Quake is above Mockingbird right now. Then we have Agent Carter. And here in Agent Carter, it's 1966. And Daisy's been asked for by her good friend Dum Dum Dugan to da- basically. What? You're stuck in the last comic. Oh, uh, Peggy yeah. has been asked by her good friend Dum Dum Dugan to vet a potential, a potential new agent for S.H.I.E.L.D. part time. And it's the Asgardian, Sif. Well, Agent Carter, Agent Peggy doesn't like S.H.I.E.L.D., doesn't like what they're doing. And she comes and spends some quality girl time on the helicarrier. And then, of course, a bad situation happens that involves a little fighty-fighty. Or, nah, more action-y and action-y. Yeah, yeah. With Sif and, and Carter. And then we get a twist in the end. This one I found to be the least interesting. I did find it interesting they brought Sif in with his Agent Carter thing. So, again, tying it into what we've seen on our show and also in the MCU uh, Sif is an important character in the MCU, partially because she's not only been in two movies, she's been in two episodes of the show. And so to have her show up in an Agent Carter story, that's fun. Having Dum Dum be there. I like Dum Dum a lot. Yeah. You know, I like him in my Godzilla comic books and I like him, you know, in the upcoming, uh, you know, Howling Commandos. Well, when but, we see they're very clear, this is 66 and I need, I haven't gone back and, and tried to remember when officially he became a, uh, an LMD. <laughs> I, I don't. I don't think he is. I'm at assuming this, point, this is the man, yeah, not the LMD. Yeah. But the, the um, but they for also me, call it Operation Sin. Yeah, they do. But I and I, we should say a quick, just to back up real quick. There's a character from season two that is name checked. Well, not even name checked is on the screen in a different package. Um, that's also in the comic. So again, the MCU cre- creeped into Quake that way. Uh, here it's Sif that's creeping in. So they're definitely playing that up with this. Sif is an important character though, for agent Carter's story. Uh, things happen in the story that are happening because Sif is there. Uh, or she's a 
part of the action, but this was the least interesting to me. And then the twist at the end, I didn't really care too much. Um, this is, you know, if I'm ranking them now, you know, Quake is number one, Mockingbird number two, Agent Carter number three out of these three. And actually, Agent Carter is going to be the fifth. My, my, it's going to be number five for me. I'm willing to go with that order. So from there, we go to Fury. I'm really jealous on this one. Go ahead. <laughs> this one was fun and interesting. You have mirror storytelling happening here. You have a 1965 story and a 2015 story. And they don't just mirror that they have two storylines going on. On the page, half of the pages. Half the page is, two, is uh, 1965. Half of the page is 2015. Uh, there's a different color scheme to them. There's not really a different art style, but 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 almost, almost. You're looking at two different time periods. They they match the panel sizes. I mean, this is for me as a comic book writer. I'm looking at this storytelling, and I'm just thinking it's just for the first few pages. But um, this is the kind of experimentation that I like to see. It's also the kind of experimentation I would like to try sometimes. Um, and I've done some things like this, not quite to this extent and not honestly, not as effectively, but, uh, you have the, the mirror storytelling between the two different Nick Furies. You have Nick Fury and Nick Fury Jr. They each have their own, uh, storyline and the stories mirror also the racial difficulties that are happening in 1965 and in 2015. What brings the two timelines together for the stories anyway, not necessarily the two year together, but the two timelines of storytelling together is Hatemonger. He is in 2015. Nick Fury Jr. is going after him, and there's a time machine. Hatemonger is sent back in time to 1965 along with Nick Fury Jr. While he's there, uh, he is accosted by some cops. Through that, he meets uh, his, the older Nick Fury, Nick Fury Sr., and they find out that uh, Hatemonger has no powers in that time period. They start going after him. They're worried that he would be able to, you know, almost ignite a racial, a race war kind of thing because of his powers. Because there is a race war occurring, an actual <coughs> historical event. Right. But he's not a part of that. He has no powers there. And so they need to think through while, okay, if he doesn't have any powers, what is he doing? Where is he? And they find out he has a target. And so I'm not going to say what the target is because that's our twist. That's our twist ending here. And uh, up until the twist ending, they had me. The, all the paradox stuff that was going on, the time travel conversations that were going on as you know, Nick Fury's like, well, tell me about this. And Nick Fury Jr. is like, I can't tell you about that, but you set up time travel you know, protocol kind of stuff. Well, why did I do that? Maybe because of what's happening here, you know. Um, but well, that twist, and there's some weighty theme elements going on too when you discuss the the Watts riots that are occurring in front of these agents of Shields in the 1960s. Right. Well, and then when you, you have know, an African American agent that dropped in. For? You have a, you, you have Nick Fury Jr. dropped into the middle of all of this, and you have yeah, there's some big conversations going on here that go beyond supervillains with powers, and so I like the idea that Hatemonger is there. And he's trying to incite more stuff, but they don't know how or where because he doesn't have any power. It's just happening. Why? Hatemonger doesn't need to be there for racial tensions to rise up, for racism to cause, you know, this horrible, horrible situations and for anger 
to boil up beneath the surface for the you know, it's just and what does this mean for good men like dum dum dugan and gabe jones who are agents of shield working for the government when yeah. this is occurring in their country it's not a different country but it's apparently the land of the free and this can happen racial tensions can boil over to the point where an event like this can occur yeah and what is their role in it should they be interfering in this event or should it be something that they're hands off? And this isn't as time travelers, but as men in 1965. And I mean, this is a tough situation for an African-American uh, character like Gabe Jones. Who at one point, I believe, threatens to walk off S.H.I.E.L.D. because nothing is happening. So I like everything. Everything about well, this until well, we well, get to the target. Yeah. And then I just, oh, we just, we just jumped into a cliche. It, it feels dated. It feels like a Twilight Zone, you know, I'm not giving any spoilers away because I this is one that I would definitely recommend reading. But, you know, it feels like a Twilight Zone where it's like, oh, we found a time machine. We can go back in time and kill Hitler, you know, and not that I'm equating the target with Hitler, uh, you know, it could be George Washington. You know, they're going those stories, even going back in time, you know, to you know, kill Christopher Columbus or, you know, those stories can be launch pads into what, what would happen if that actually did happen? Christopher Columbus. I mean, he's on my mind right now because we just had Columbus day recently, but if Christopher Columbus was, was assassinated before he ever made his trip, what would have happened for Europe? What would have happened for the Americas? It's a springboard for a story, but when your climax for the story is okay, the target is George Washington but obviously, you know, George Washington didn't die in the Marvel 616. Because no, they never put a name on this actual. They didn't have to put a name on it. They didn't have to put a name on it at all. And let's see, did they did they, they do any kind of They did of, not put a name on it. No, nah, they did put a name on it. No, they did, but it's not the the name you would think. It's not the official name. It's the nickname. Yeah. But yeah, I just up until that last moment, it fits into the themes that we're talking about with racial um, issues and, and, and that. But uh, yeah, well, and, and it definitely so fits into the motivation of someone like Hatemonger. That would be, I, I guess, a target if a, if a person like Hatemonger existed and they do. And they had the opportunity to travel back in time, which they don't, fortunately. I could see that being a target for them. It works. It just, it's coming real close to cliche for me. That's the only thing. Let's talk about good things. Yeah. yeah. This is also a great expose and study of the character of Nick Fury. Yeah, we talked about this in our last episode of the actual show. Where yeah. um, you were talking about who Nick Fury is now. And I said, oh, yeah, we get to see a contrast of who Nick Fury is now based on Nick Fury Jr.'s impressions and then who Nick Fury was. And all through the eyes of Nick Fury Jr., who honestly never knew that man from 1965. And his interactions with Nick Fury Sr. have been very, very limited as far as we know. And this is where, as a time travel story, I, I enjoy it because what is it doing? It's, you know, the boy gets to go back in time and see where his parent came from, a parent that he didn't know as a child real well. 
if at all. I, I don't have a lot of background for Nick Fury Jr. None. So. No, no knowledge of him as a child. That's a cool trope of time travel, you know, going back in time and seeing your parents as they were when they were your age. And, and that's, you know, I, I feel like Nick Fury Jr. and Nick Fury are, are similar ages when they, you know, when we go back to 1965. I will say this, this out of all five is my favorite. This out of all five, it's fighting for that top spot. And I just can't decide if that or Quake is going to get that Fury, top spot. Fury's number one for me. Quake's number two. I will also argue that out of all of them, this is probably the least MCU impacted. Oh, well, maybe, maybe just based on the issue itself. But if you consider the fact that Nick Fury Jr. only exists because of the MCU. No, I see what you're saying. I see what you're saying. But I feel like this one here is probably the best representation of a celebration and review of 50 years of shield. Absolutely. With that, because he literally goes back in time 50 years. Yeah. So no, absolutely. Because in our next one, the cavalry, uh, not much history there. Yeah. I mean, this one is agent may who of course was created on for television. She's taking a group of shield agents out into the field um, well, not into the field, to a test area to do basically a final exam sort of thing. And yeah, everybody yeah. knows that she's a hard judge and she's got this reputation of being the Calvary. And, you know, a lot of stories float around her. And really, stories is a big theme. You know, what's the legend of someone? And building on what what do people know or don't know about the legend of, of May? Um, but yeah, bad things happen out on this test and, uh, she has to be what she is. It becomes a mission. It goes from being a train exercise into a, being a mission. And yeah, what's cool. You say the story is a big theme. What's cool is that these training or these, these, uh, trainees get to become a part of the legend. They get to actually be part of a story, a cavalry story. <laughs> and, and for me, again, I don't have a whole lot to say about it. It's probably the middle one for me because, as you point out, the cool thing is, is they get to become part of the story. Yeah, there is some there's some clever storytelling going on with the dual storytelling between their mission that they're on, the training mission and the previous mission that May had because they're at a an old Hydra base where May had an, a mission there when they came and swept through and now the, the the hydra base is being used for these training things and so she's kind of having these uh, not really flashbacks but for us they are flashbacks as far as we are seeing this previous mission and what happened and that's part of the twist is what happened on that mission really and this is the, the interesting thing about this one is they get attacked by something we don't find out what they get attacked by uh, I mean, we see what what's doing the attacking, but we don't know who's behind it. And I couldn't figure out, is this set up for, like, as we're going into S.H.I.E.L.D. comic issue number 11 and 12 and whatever and so on? Or is this just, yeah, this is just the end of that story. This is the end of May's mission. And not all missions have a nice pat answer. And it's more about survival than who sent these um, th- these things. 
Colson figures heavily into this one. And that's another nice, nice thing. Yep. I, he's that's not, a nice thing. he's not a major character, but he, he's an important part. He's there, buddy. Yeah. So I, this, this goes middle for me. I mean, agent Carter is definitely the, the, my least favorite of all of them. Um, and then probably actually, no, it's probably agent Carter and then cavalry. Uh, and then Mockingbird, and then Fury and Quake for me. You do love your science, don't you? I will say also, this these are being collected into a graphic novel. I think that you know we kind of do that. Do you buy, borrow? You know, do you wait for the trade? I, I would buy that trade paperback if I didn't have all these issues right now. I would. No, I'm probably going to buy the trade paperback anyway. <sighs> was solicited at discount comic book service and kind of tempted i'll probably get it but yeah big month for shield comics though i enjoyed myself because it was there's some fun storytelling going on there um but surprisingly agent carter i thought was gonna be one of my favorites maybe i shouldn't have i didn't really well the thing is is it's written by Catherine Inman, who was in on Operation Sin. So, however you felt about Operation Sin is yeah. really how you should feel that, about this. That's why I'm saying maybe I should. They're in the exact same tone. Uh, and then Howard the Duck, like I said, I usually don't like a Howard the Duck story that's not written by Steve Gerber. And and even then, some of the Steve Gerber's later Howard the Duck stories, I'm not a big fan of either. So, yeah. So there we are. There we go. Big month. Next month, big month, we get a new S.H.I.E.L.D. comic. <laughs> we do. Howling Commandos. That's right. We get... Oh, man. I'm excited. I, I, I'm i not going to hide it. I'm excited. There you go. So, all right. Well, thank you for listening, everyone. And we do appreciate you listening. And if you uh, like what you hear, uh, you can, like I said, go to comicbooktimemachine.com. And, and find more of the same. Also, if you like what you hear, you can uh, leave us a review on iTunes. Uh, you can leave us a, you know, a good review. That's, that's what's helpful. Uh, if you don't like what you hear, um, I mean, I guess that's what reviews exist for, is to you know, warn people away, I guess. But um, we'd appreciate you know, the, the good ones. But yeah, we prefer the good ones. <laughs> And the other thing is, uh, if you would want to help us um, with, you know, financially, you can go to Amazon. You can go to welcomelove7.com slash music, and that takes you to a, a, an Amazon store. And there's other things there with graphic novels and stuff like that. Um, but it's primarily the music is the, the, the front page when you go to welcomelove7.com slash music. It doesn't change your Amazon price, but it does give us a little bit of a kickback. And and that's something that is is helpful, especially as we're facing some equipment breakdowns and, and things like that. But more more than anything else, we appreciate you guys writing in. We appreciate you guys uh, joining uh, joining up with us on, on Facebook. And we really just appreciate you guys listening. So thank you again. Daniel, I've said a lot. Do you have any final words? You know, Ben, you might find this disturbing. Ah. I am not wearing pants. Thanks for listening to Welcome to Level 7. You've heard us, now we'd love to hear from you. Go to welcometolevel7.com slash feedback where you can contact us through our website. You can also leave us a voicemail by calling 177-55-LEVEL-7. 
You can also join the lively conversation going on at facebook.com slash welcome to level seven or connect with us on Twitter where we're level seven pod. And remember, the seven is spelled out. Our theme music is The Light Fantastic by J.S. Earls. And you can find that at transplant.bandcamp.com. Welcome to Level 7 is a proud member of the Noodle Mix Network. Find more of our award-winning and award-nominated podcasts to make you think, laugh, and succeed at noodle.mx. Learn how to podcast, get productive in your personal and professional life, theorize over TV shows, laugh with our clean comedy, delve into science fiction and philosophy, learn critical thinking from movie reviews, and more at noodle.mx. Once again, thanks for listening. And remember, welcome to Level 7. It's not just a podcast. It's a magical place. Ben, 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 Ben. Yeah, Daniel, 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 Daniel. You know what I recently caught a little episode of? No, I don't. Guardians of the Galaxy animated series. Yeah, how'd that go for you? Hey, do you like stories in which the Guardians, a fun-loving group of adventurers, get together to look for ancient cosmic artifacts and objects? So, Marvel Comics, Star Wars, Indiana Jones? Maybe, maybe, maybe. Thrown into a blender? Maybe. Do you like stories I do. set in the Marvel Universe oh, oh. in which fun-loving adventurers take ancient objects to, I don't know, nowhere? You mean like the place nowhere? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, maybe. Hey, how would you feel if that said group of ragatan bandits were to attempt to sell that object to someone named the broker? Ragatan? It's, uh, it's late. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. What if Yondu? Where are you going with this, man? What if a guy named Yondu with blue skin? What if he attempted to get a cut of this object and perhaps created complications for our group of folks? I, I'm getting the impression you're describing the show. What if? <laughs> so it's not really what, a what if, if. What if the person that they were trying to fight over this ancient object was somehow related to, I don't know, Thanos. Does uh, that it all sound like something you'd be interested in? Possibly, but I, I yeah. I, what's the punchline? Well, to me, I think <laughs> at least in the pilot of Cardi's of the Galaxy, they've tried to replay as much of the movie as they possibly could with just small twists. Yeah. Um, you know, I had predicted that the Guardians of the Galaxy cartoon not the cartoon itself but uh the origin story cartoons that they were making would be part of the mcu possibly and they did release them on youtube i don't know if they released i don't know if they were aired as part of those episodes that you were watching they're pretty good on youtube but james gunn has said explicitly that this cartoon has nothing to do with mcu continuity Phew. there's that and, and- and I would say I thought that it's a good cart, a good animated series overall. Maybe not great. I still think Ultimate Spider-Man's better. To be honest, the kids loved it. The kids asked me to record all the episodes and to put it as a, re- a setting uh, on our DVR. I do kind of have to admit that having seen a lot of Kim Possible and a lot of Batman Beyond, that sometimes it's a little weird to hear Ron Stoppable talking as Star Lord. Can't speak to that wangy. one. Little Can't speak to that one. I'm Just, not planning on purchasing this season through iTunes or anything like that. 
Yeah, I would not recommend doing that. If it shows I up on Netflix, hits Netflix, it I, will, I just may. like Ultimate Spider-Man did. Thank you, Disney and Netflix deal. Yeah, I wish the Disney and Netflix deal would let me watch Rebels sooner. But. Well, is tomorrow? Well, from the is tomorrow from the date we're recording? Wink, wink. The premiere of season two officially. I don't know. So maybe Rebels will be there before you know it. Oh, season two of Rebels is going to be so good. I want to watch season one. But yeah, I'm in a Star Wars mood lately, which is why you can go over to comicbooktimemachine.com and see where I've been reading through the old Marvel Star Wars comic books. Yeah, I think we'll leave off on that that plug. How's boop, that sound? Boop, 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 boop. <laughs> All right, later, man.